Hey, glad to have you uh, in the house of God with us this morning. Man, God is doing really some incredible things here in the Northwest and really around the nation. We're receiving emails and reports from folks. I got one this week, somebody watching in Oklahoma. Now, I didn't even know Oklahoma was a real state. But anyways, we got folks watching from Oklahoma. They said, we got a community. We're gathering people in our house. We're watching Pursuit live stream every week. And I just thought, man, if God could do it in Oklahoma, he can do it just about anywhere. And I just really operate with this belief that there's never been a better time to be alive. And I know if you were to turn on the news or doom scroll through your social media feed, you might be convinced of another reality. But just let me give you God's perspective this morning. Number one, you're called for such a time as this. Number two, God has uniquely gifted you to be of effectual service in this season. Number three, out of all the times that you could have ever been born, God had such a sense of humor that he decided for you to be born in this generation. And nothing is too hard for this God that we serve. I really believe that we are on the cusp of another great awakening here in this nation. And it's not the result of a political party. It's not the result of a personal preference. But when God's people are at their darkest hour, that's when his spirit is poured out without measure. And so I want you to know, don't, don't be distressed. Or Sometimes I tell people they got the spirit of Chicken Little. Sky is falling. Pastor, didn't you hear? They got nukes and all sorts of things. And, you know, some Christians are content to just buy a bunch of freeze-dried food and live in a bunker for the rest of their life. Not me and not you. No, we, we, we serve a king and a kingdom that is advancing by force, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Listen, we are on offense, not on defense. And the Bible says the kingdom suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. But we have been uniquely called and gifted, seated in heavenly places for the disruption and dismantling of the enemy's bondage. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest, to destroy the works of darkness. Jesus is not negotiating with darkness in the Northwest. He is not negotiating with sickness. This is not some sort of horse trading. I'm going to make a deal or sign a treaty. The enemy can have this much, but he can't have this much. No, every square inch of this region belongs to the Lord, and we're not going to quit until the Northwest is filled with glory. You are not a victim of culture's narrative. You are not on the losing side of eternity. You are not on the wrong side of history. No, God has uniquely called you and gifted you for such a time as this. And people who believe that, they operate with a sense of authority and boldness and courage that others don't. Oh, God has called us for this. No, when the world seems to be at its darkest, that's when the church shines brightest. Now, I know there's a lot of complexities and a lot of arguments and I don't want to gloss over the real pain that a lot of people face, both in our region and in our world today. But I still believe 2,000 years later, Jesus is still the answer to the heart's most longing questions. Our hope is in Jesus. How disappointed would you be if your hope was in the stock market? Your hope was in cryptocurrency? Your hope was in your political party rising to power? Friend, if politicians could have saved us, we'd done been saved a long time ago. People need an encounter with Jesus. 
People need to taste and see that the Lord is good. People need to meet the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who has not lost one ounce of his power. If he can lead the Hebrew children out of the wilderness, surely he can save his church in the Northwest. And our best days are not behind us, they are ahead of us. And here's what I found, the person with the most hope wins. And our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is not in the outcomes of man. In fact, even when the nations rage, God laughs because he still sits on the throne. And there is no name like the name of Jesus, the highest name. That at his name every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Come on, there has never been a God as good as the one we read about in the pages of this book. That's a God who is mighty to save. That's a God who is faithful to his covenant. That's a God who shows up when you don't deserve it. That's a God who delivers you from the enemy's snare. That's a God who says 10,000 may fall at your right and 1,000 by your left, but it will not come near you. That's a God who says, do not fear the arrow that flies by night, for it will not hurt you. That's a God who says, I am a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. That's a God who dispatches angelic armies on your behalf. That's a God who makes your way straight. That's a God who calls you in the way that you should go, that you would never depart from it. That's a God who delights in his children, for he is the father of light, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. That is a God who should not lie. That is a God who is faithful to finish what he has started. That is a God who says, I've begun it, I sustained it, I'll complete it, and I'm not done yet. That's a God who says, your scarlet letter is covered up by my scarlet blood. That's a God who is working on your behalf, and that that's the one that we've come to worship this morning. Oh, I still get excited about Jesus. Well, why do you worship the way you do? Because it's the only thing I got left. Why do you preach the way you do? Because it's the only thing that I got left. Because I reached the end of my rope, I tied a knot and I hung on. Because I found that there is no hole so deep that God isn't deeper still. Because when I was in the valley of the shadow of death, he said, fear no evil for I'll make a table in front of your enemies. That's the God whose goodness and mercy is chasing me all the days of my life. No, the Holy Spirit is not intimidated by the Northwest and neither am I and neither are you. No, you are the prize and the pride of God, seated in heavenly places, declared to be righteous because of the efficacious blood of his son. We are the ones who have entered into right relationship with him through the torn veil of his flesh. We are the ones whose blood covers not just our sin, but our mistakes, our failures, our inadequacies, our sin, our shame, and our sickness. And we put great confidence now in the finished work of Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Because we serve the one who still makes intercession on our behalf day and night to the Father. You still have an advocate on your behalf. You still have a helper, a paraclete named the Holy Spirit. You still have the one who won't share his glory with another, but you're not another, you're his beloved. You are still today qualified to do the mission of God that's at hand. I don't care whether you got a PhD or a GED. I don't care whether you've been saved your whole life or you just sober two or three days. You're in the right place at the right time to be used by a good God who in fact will finish every good work that he started. God ain't never leave a thing undone. Which means that if, if it's not good, God's not done. He's still working. He's still working. Would you give him time to work this morning? 
Would you give him permission to finish what he started? Would you just remind yourself that God has been faithful when I have been faithless? That he's faithful to his covenant? That his covenant is not secured by my blood, it's secured by his blood? Could you just remind yourself this morning of how good God has been even when you didn't deserve it? And in doing so, encourage your soul. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So when I look at failure, when I look at mistakes, when I look at things that maybe didn't turn out the way that I wanted, I'm going to stare right into the middle of that giant, and the redeemed of the Lord is going to say so. See, God says something else about your circumstance. God says something else about your giant. God says something else about the valley of the shadow. God has a different report. And so we need his perspective for life's events, and in doing so, it encourages us, it challenges us, that if God hasn't given up on us, we'd be foolish to give up on him. I want to share with you a, a story this morning out of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a historian. Tells us about the history of God's people, the nation of Israel, and writes in detail about their disobedience and their eventual servitude to the Babylonian Empire. For through disobedience and through false worship, God allowed them to be carried off into bondage. Not because bondage was the final chapter of their life, but because sometimes people got to reach rock bottom before they look up and see Christ. And so God allows the Hebrew children to be carried off into Babylonian captivity. Their temple's been destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and their gates have been burned. But in the midst of the darkness, God raises up a man named Nehemiah who will inspire the people to dream again. And I want you to know this morning, friend, it is in fact your time to dream again. For my Bible says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He says, even for old men, they will dream new dreams. There is still yet unfulfilled dreams here in the Northwest. And God isn't looking for experts. He's just looking for regular folk who will be available unto him. And that's our primary response to the glory of God. God, I'm available. Here am I, send me. No, I know I'm unclean. I know I'm amongst the people who are unclean. But if you could just use regular old me, I'd give everything I have just to be a doorkeeper in your presence. Friend, if you get the presence, you get everything else. And if you don't get the presence, it don't matter what else you get. It don't matter. But we're people going after the presence. Now watch, Nehemiah 2. The Bible begins this story in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. But come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. I, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God who was on me and what the king had said to me. So they said in unison, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. See, Israel had been carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. Nehemiah was a slave in a foreign empire, but the hand of God was upon his life. Nehemiah eventually found himself in the position as cupbearer to the king of Persia, a man named Artaxerxes. 
And isn't this the story of Israel, which is also the story of us? God would prosper His people. God's people would begin to lean on their own strength. This prosperity would cause Israel to forget God's promises. Forgetting who God is would land God's people back into captivity. And then God would be faithful to raise up a remnant who would remember the goodness of God in the land of the living. Hear me, friend. Your prosperity has a purpose. But as soon as you forget that your supply comes from God, your prosperity becomes a trap that leads you into bondage. Friend, we are not containers of blessing. We're conduits of blessing. Meaning I'm not storing it up for me. I'm allowing it to flow through me into the life of someone else. See, anything that I can pass on into the life of somebody else, God will give me more of. For Scripture says God gives seed to the sower. See, you don't grow in finances until finances can flow through you. You don't grow in the prophetic until the prophetic can flow through you. You don't grow in grace until grace first flows through you. You don't grow in encouragement until encouragement first flows through you. And this was the crowning message of Nehemiah's ministry. We will not forget the Lord. In one of the final messages Moses ever preaches to the Hebrew children in the book of Deuteronomy, he says this, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Now be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to the land, who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Hear me, friend, do not forget when you had nothing, God was setting you up for abundance. Do not forget when you was broken, God was setting you up for wholeness. Do not forget when you were sick, God was already preparing your miracle. Do not forget when you were lonely, God was getting ready to establish you in a family. Do not forget when you were lost in sin, God was sending his son to pay your debts. How many times do we catch ourselves complaining about the blessings that we once prayed for? See, never forget what God rescued you from. Never forget how he lifted you up out of the miry clay. Never forget that even when you were in Egypt, God was preparing a promise. See, Nehemiah had a political position before he ever had a spiritual position. But here's the key. Nehemiah saw his vocation as just another sphere of influence that God could use if Nehemiah would only be a willing vessel. See, God isn't waiting for you to have a spiritual title before he calls you to spiritual work. Nehemiah had the ear of a king, not as a prophet, not as a teacher, but instead as a servant. And servanthood created an atmosphere of opportunity that God could use for an eternal purpose. And that's why Paul says in the book of Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, in fact, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Hear me, friend. Religion hasn't become political 
Politics has become religious. Our leaders are afraid to talk about things like gender. Our political voices are so terrified of being canceled, they bow to the most popular heresy of our day. I would venture to say this morning, you don't need to be a biologist in order to understand the difference between male and female. You don't need to be a philosopher in order to understand the difference between right and wrong. You don't need to be a social scientist in order to understand the importance of having moms and dads. See, the church has an obligation to speak truth in the public square. And if we don't, the religion of politics will swallow up the ability of free people to worship God as they see fit. Do not believe the lie of secular neutrality. Everyone in our world is arguing for their preferred moral position. The church does no favors to civil society by being quiet on the great moral questions of our day. See, part of the way that we rebuild the wall is by refusing to be silent in the midst of a culture that is being built on lies. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall and Ezra rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah had a mandate for the city. Ezra had a mandate for the church. They worked together to rebuild an inhabitation for God's glory, which tells me this. We need spirit-filled pastors, and we need spirit-filled police officers. We need spirit-filled ministers, and we need spirit-filled merchants. We need spirit-filled prophets, and we need spirit-filled poets. We need spirit-filled Bible teachers and business leaders. We need deacons, and we need designers. Nehemiah's work wasn't less important than Ezra. They worked in tangent because God God wasn't just after a temple, he was after a city. That's why Isaiah the prophet says they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And we got people in this very moment moving from across the country to simply be a part of what God is doing in this church. And we aren't going to stop until we see cities transformed. Hear me, friend. Revival is for the church, but reformation is for the culture. Now in Nehemiah 3, Nehemiah lists all the different types of people that he recruits to be a part of rebuilding the wall. He says, I got priests from Jerusalem, I got goldsmiths, I got perfume makers, I got Levites, I got temple servants, I've got guards, and I've got merchants. In this church today, I see all different type of folk who are going to partake in the rebuilding of the Northwest. We got construction workers and preschool employees. We got tech workers and designers, creatives and baristas, retired folks, students, stay-at-home moms, landscapers, and lawyers. Friend, you've got a part to play, and now it's time to get to work. I think sometimes we project spiritual work onto people who have spiritual titles, and then we have the goal to complain about the state of our city. And I would venture to say this morning that whatever sphere of influence God has placed you in, He has done so that, you, so that you can be a beneficial presence in the world around you. And the world needs pastors just as much as it needs producers. The world needs worship leaders as much as it needs godly filmmakers. And when we work together, we have a theology that is as big as a city. Because we know that God is interested in rebuilding the ancient ruins. Nehemiah says, let us rise up or let us look up and build. I've got good news this morning. If you can look up, you can get up. 
And if you can get up, you can set your hand to the good work and begin the process of rebuilding. See, the enemy wants you to think that you can't ever rebuild. But this gospel says the glory of the latter is always greater than the glory of the former, which means you are never too old to have a fresh start. See, God has a part for you to play in this next great work. Nehemiah says, come let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. See, the enemy wants you to operate in shame and disgrace to such an extent that you never even try to build again. But see, shame is a false identity that attempts to convince you that you are what you've done or you are what others have done to you. But in Christ, you have become a new creation and shame and condemnation no longer has any claim against your life. And when Christ hung on the cross, he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you. And now we identify as sons and daughters of the Most High, not because of our goodness, but because of his. Though that's who you are, you're seated in heavenly places. That's who you are, an ambassador of Christ Jesus. No, this is who we are, people who live from heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. Friend, this is who we are. You know, it is a shame what the enemy has done to the Northwest. But a remnant is rising to rebuild. No, it is a shame what the enemy has done to the church of God. But a remnant is rising to rebuild. And what God builds out of the ash heap of history will be the very thing that crushes the enemy's head. We are in the business of rebuilding cities that have been torn down spiritually, mentally, morally. When God's people set their hand to work, nothing is impossible for them. In the book of Nehemiah, it records something incredible. In 52 days, 52 days, Nehemiah and the people rebuilt two and a half miles of wall, eight feet thick and 40 feet high. In churches today, it takes 52 weeks, 17 meetings, 37 boats, 14 committees to even determine what they should do next. Weak leaders hide behind supposed complexities and organizational ambiguity as a reason they can't move forward. Now, I know I don't make every shot I take, but I do know this. I miss 100% of the shots I never have the courage to shoot. No, we won't always get it right. No, not every idea will work. No, not every initiative will be successful. But I refuse to stop working for as long as the Lord gives me strength. I'm going to rally the region to rebuild the wall. And as the church goes, so goes the city. It's no wonder Seattle is dead. Just look at her churches. See, Scripture says Nehemiah rebuilt both the walls and the gates. Hear me, friend. Walls are for protecting what is. Gates are for opening to what's next. See, walls protect the, the message, but gates give us vision for new methods. Walls protect orthodoxy, but gates provide new avenues of mission. A house isn't a house without walls, but in like manner, a house isn't a house without doors. See, we need a church that has walls to keep us grounded and doors that keep us relevant. See, Jerusalem ceased to be a city when its walls were destroyed. Jerusalem ceased to have a purpose when the temple was destroyed. 
Jerusalem ceased to be a place of exchange when its gates were burned. So God raised up a prophet to rebuild the ancient ruins. It wasn't just so the temple could shine. It was so the city could live once again. See, Nehemiah had permission from the king, Artaxerxes, that it was time to rebuild. And I would venture to say this morning, you likewise have permission from the king. It is time to rebuild. The Bible says in verse 19, But when Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you got no share in Jerusalem or any claim nor historic right to it. I've got good news for you this morning, friend. The enemy has no historic right to your life, your family, your mental health, or your future. His claim against your life was disempowered by the cross when Christ made a public spectacle of the enemy. See, when you made a confession of faith in Christ, he didn't just secure your future, he purchased your past. Meaning this, I have given up my right to wallow in the shame of yesteryear. It doesn't belong to me anymore, for Jesus has paid the highest price. No, Jesus has purchased all my past mistakes, all my present mistakes, and in fact, all my future mistakes. He has already settled my account in heaven, and the enemy has no historic claim to my life, for I belong to God. You know, discouragement is an assignment from the enemy to get you so depressed that you don't even have the faith to try. But this morning, you got permission to shake that thing off. For hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a promise fulfilled is the tree of life. Listen, friend, you have to learn the art of repeating the truth of God until it becomes louder than the lies of man. As soon as Nehemiah started rebuilding the wall, it attracted critics like bees to honey. You will always have the competing voices of Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Geshem in your life, but you aren't obligated to allow those voices to dictate your future. Hudson Taylor once said that there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it's impossible. Then, it is difficult. And then, it is done. In Nehemiah 4, the story continues. When Samballot heard that they was rebuilding the wall, he became angry. He was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they really restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they really bring these stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Come on, if there was ever a message the church of God needed in the Northwest is fight for your families, your wives, your husbands, your sons, your daughters, and your homes. We are in the valley of decision. So choose this day whom you will serve. The enemies of Nehemiah were angry and they were incensed. 
The reason being was this. When Jerusalem rebuilt its walls, it could no longer be controlled, manipulated, or influenced by the enemy's threats. I think about walls in the context of a developed Christian life. I don't think the enemy cares how great your vision is. I think he starts to get nervous when you begin to rebuild some walls. When you begin to develop some daily habits, some spiritual practices, some Christian commitments. I don't think the enemy cares when you visit a church. I think he's incensed when you join a church. I don't think the enemy cares when you get breakthrough. I think he's incensed when you have follow through. I don't think the enemy cares when you worship on a good day. I think all of hell is shook when you worship on a difficult day. See, when the enemy knows that he can no longer control your mood, your habits, your thought life, your emotions, your sexuality, or your relationships, that's when he gets real upset. Listen, friend, you need some walls that speak to some commitments that you have made as part of being a follower of Jesus, that you are unwilling to let be torn down because they serve as foundational and guiding principles in your life. Church will always be an inconvenience but it's a necessary wall in the life of a successful believer. Tithing will always be an inconvenience, but it's a necessary wall in the life of a successful believer. Serving, devotion will always be an inconvenience, but it's a necessary wall in the life of the believer. The Bible goes on to record that Nehemiah gives specific instruction to his people. As the enemies that surround Jerusalem start to get a little rattled and start to get a little upset, Nehemiah is aware that they have a plan to attack. And so Nehemiah calls all of the men and women unto himself and he says, from here on out, you're gonna hold a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. Because believe it or not, it's possible to do two things at the same time. You're going to keep one eye on the wall, and you're going to keep another eye on the battlefield. And as long as the enemy doesn't advance, you're going to give your whole heart to rebuilding the thing that God has asked us to rebuild. But if the enemy ever oversteps its prescribed authority, you're going to be prepared to battle. And I want to let you know, church, God is asking us to do two things at the same time. We are going to build until he returns but we are also going to battle because we are in the midst of a spiritual conflict and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in battle for the pulling down of strongholds. We are going to battle with one hand and we're going to build with another hand. We're going to build until Christ returns and we're going to battle until the Northwest is filled with glory. You know why? Because we got schools to build. We got more campuses to plant. We got mental health clinics to open. We got apartment buildings to buy. We got studios to start. We've got more work left to do in this region. The building has just begun. I know the enemy thinks that he's turned over every stone of every church in the Northwest. But I know that there's a foundation under the surface that's just been asking and longing and looking for a couple believers who will add their faith together to rebuild what has always been in the heart of God. We'll go rebuild walls. We're going to reestablish gates. We're going to rebuild the tabernacle of God in our own heart. 
We're going to battle in accordance with the spiritual call that we've been given in the New Testament. And together, we're going to see the King of Glory show up and show off in incredible ways. That is the call for our church in this season. We're going to build with one hand and we're going to battle with the other. Come on, what is too hard for this God that we serve? If God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. And if God called us to it, he gonna see us through it. And together, we're gonna see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? Let me pray for you. Let me encourage you in faith today. Father, now you see every heart in this room. You see every viewer on our online campus. God, I pray now that you would do them with courage and power from on high. God, I pray that you would break off every ounce of shame and discouragement that's tried to tie them down. I declare over you today, friend, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I say shame will no longer be able to stamp your identity. I say abuse will no longer be able to stamp your identity because God is getting ready to strengthen a remnant people for it in fact is time to rebuild. We declare over this region the Northwest belongs to God. We declare over this land that it will be filled with the glory of God. We declare over this church it will advance by force and the gates of hell will be broken. We declare over this region give up your dead, give up your sick, give up your prodigal, give up your oppressed for the King of glory is here. And we declare swing wide ancient gates and open up you ancient doors for the King of glory is here. And we say, now God, inspire us with a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other hand to be everything that you've asked us to be and to do everything that you've asked us to do. And if you will be our God, we will be your people. Father, we love you. God, we honor you this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, come on, all God's people said amen. Fred, if you're here today and you'd like prayer before you leave, I'd sure love to add my faith to yours to see God do a miracle in your life. If you need prayer for any reason, we're going to invite you to these altars at this time. We're going to pray with you and see God do some incredible work in you and through you. If not, God bless. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Glad to have you in the house of God.